Before we enter into Philippians, it's important to understand the context in which this letter was written. This is a real letter written by a historical person, Paul of Tarsus, and written to a historical community of people in the ancient city of Philippi. This coastal city of Philippi was named after King Philip, who was the father of Alexander the Great, and established this city as a centralized gold mining hub in Macedonia, modern-day Greece. This city was off the, is, is uh, on the northeast shores of modern-day Greece, formerly Macedonia. Philippi was a prosperous Roman colony, which meant that its citizens shared all rights and privileges of being Roman citizens. That was a big deal. The city was full of retired Roman soldiers and prided itself in dignity, honor, and known for its patriotic nationalism. So this was the city that Paul was called to preach the gospel of King Jesus in his second missionary journey, recorded for us in Acts 16. It would be good for us to start making connections between Paul's call in his context of ancient Philippi and our call in our context of North America today. We have much detail about the birth of this church community in Philippi, which I highly encourage you all to review at some point this week as we launch it, we're launching a series, which, uh, which you can review in Acts chapter 16. Paul, Silas, and Timothy arrive on the shores of Macedonia, and outside the gate of the city, they meet a group of Jewish women gathered for prayer. After meeting them, Paul shares the gospel of Jesus, and Scripture records for us that in that moment, Lydia was spiritually born again and responds by inviting the missionaries into her home. Lydia being the first convert in all of Europe, which paved the way for one of the first, if not the first, church to be born in Europe right here in Philippi. Quick note on this point, women rock. <laughs> women rock. Just throwing that out there. Women have always been instrumental in the proliferation of the early church, in the growth and expansion of the church around the world, and they are instrumental in the flourishment of the church today. Amen? You should have seen the dozens and dozens of women pouring themselves out here last week, investing in a generation of disciples. I got to move on now, but women, you rock. Always have, always will. Thank you, Jesus. The rest of Acts 16 records the birth of the church community in Philippi, and then Paul is forced out of the city. However, Paul maintains strong relations with this community of believers. They support each other, them to him and he to them in remarkable ways. And years later, Paul is imprisoned, likely in Rome, one of his many times locked up for gospel ministry, and he receives a visitor, Epaphroditus, sent from the church of Philippi 
to minister to Paul's needs. So this letter to the Philippians was written as a response from Paul to the church in view of their care and consideration of him. This is a missionary report. Likewise, in similar ways, we've recently heard reports from several supported workers of Riverstone, right? Several weeks ago, the Hayes were here serving in Holland. They shared a report with us. A couple weeks ago, Danny, serving in Lebanon, was here sharing a report with us. And I'm happy to announce next Sunday, Annie Vincent, one of our members, is back from her first year serving in Jordan, and she's going to be here sharing us uh, a report for mutual encouragement. Not much has changed in the, in the mission of the church over 2,000 years. And here we have Paul sending his greetings and his thankfulness and encouragement to the church in Philippi. This is the letter to the Philippians, which God has preserved for the edification of believers and churches all throughout history. Let's pray now and then begin our study in chapter 1. Join me in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for the gospel, Lord. Thank you for new life in you. Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit and your word. Lord, we remember Moses who says, remember this word, meditate on it day and night, for it is your life. Lord, so help us to see and behold marvelous things from your word. Help us to, as we study this passage, know you more fully, love you more deeply, and live for you more faithfully all the days of our life, that we would be filled with joy and you would ultimately be glorified in us and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, book of Philippians, chapter 1, let's read the opening verses, first two lines. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, right from the start, we see a very important feature of this letter. Identification matters. How Paul views himself and thereby identifies himself here matters. Look at how he identifies himself. Timothy and I, servants of Christ Jesus, or slaves of Christ. I am a servant of Christ and therefore serve Christ. Identity and purpose. To all the saints who are in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Literally to all the holy ones in Philippi. That is, to you who are set apart from the evil of your land and consecrated to God for his purposes. Paul highlights the importance of unity in this opening line, with Christ and one another. We are all saints in Christ Jesus and therefore servants of Christ Jesus. Our treasure 
is found in our Christian identity over and above our earthly identities. Family, this is so important for us, especially in our day and age where everyone seems to be identity politicking, both outside the church and inside the church, identifying themselves and others, whether it's by posting their allegiances and identity claims on their front lawns or posting online. Society wants to identify Christians according to their view of Christianity. Political parties want Christians to identify with them. Political progressives want to identify conservatives as as oppressive nationalists. How can anyone be a Christian and support the Republican Party we hear? Political progressives, political conservatives want to identify progressives as victimizing Marxist ideologues. How can anyone be a Christian and a Democrat, we hear? Both sides blaming the other for grouping and imposing false judgments and identifications on them. Christians and churches throughout the nation dividing over this powerful reality. All while Satan grins with his hand on the ladle, stirring confusion throughout our land. Just like I like it. And here comes Paul, ripping right through the center, declaring, I am a slave of Christ a defender of God's truth. I pour myself out in loving service to all because God desires that no one shall perish, but that all would come to a saving faith in Him. Grace, truth, peace, love, and more love. Fam, that's no flaky gospel. That's what being in Christ consists of. We're all servants of Christ, including the elders and deacons, Paul says. Servant leaders with the body, not above the body, all united in effective service. And his service is perfect freedom, amen? This servant credential of Paul's with the saints in Philippi sets the stage for everything that we'll study in this book. His opening words, grace and peace to you, summarize the gospel. He greets them with the focus of the letter in plain view, Jesus, 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 three times in the opening two verses. Our community exists in Christ to serve Christ in the grace and peace of Christ. Family, it may seem like I'm going a bit too far in dissecting these first two verses and these opening words, but I cannot stress enough or it cannot be overstated how massively important these opening words are on our life together. In Christ. Let's read on in Paul's introduction here, verses 3 through 8. And as we do, let's try to carefully identify Paul's priorities 
for a fruitful life and ministry with the church in Philippi. Let's read verses 3 through 8. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Two priorities of Paul's jump right out at us in the first line. Praise and prayer. He says, I thank God for you. I praise him every time I think of you. And I think of you a lot because I'm always praying for you. His praise is an overflow of joy. He says, I praise God and pray for you filled with joy. Why? Because of our partnership, our fellowship in the gospel from day one until now. I remember where we've been, Lydia, and I remember where we are and know where we are now, church, and I praise God. Hallelujah. He is good and faithful. Joy is a major theme of this letter that we will revisit time and time again. But one thing to keep in mind that is abundantly clear for Paul is that his joy comes from deep-seated delight in Christ. And he says, my joy is secure in my confidence in God's faithfulness. He says, he's not like us. He doesn't start projects and get tired and bored and move on to other things. No, he completes his work. And he started a good work among you, a work of salvation and transformation. He doesn't let his redemptive work fall apart. Oh no, he perfects it. Family, take courage in this blessed assurance. This is real security for our own souls, for our families, for our church, together, our destiny. He says, you are so deeply embedded in my heart. I long to see you and love you with the deep affections of Christ himself because of your deep commitment to me, our partnership together in the grace of God. You stood by me in bountiful seasons and you, stood, you stand by me in my chains. This is the first glimpse 
of Paul's imprisonment here. He's grateful, deeply grateful for their unbreakable unity and mutual support in the joys and hardships of life. Family, do you feel this way here? Is Riverstone really your family? Do you feel this level of support and deep love both for and from this church? If so, praise God. If not, then let's not stand by. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about how we can foster deeper connections here with you and you here. I understand it takes time. It takes time. But we have, we have avenues and steps available for you. We have members at our welcome desk every Sunday waiting to hear from anyone who wants to, to understand more about our church, get connected, be guided in any way that we can serve you and get you plugged in. We have on our currents a connecting card to fill out so we can hear from you and know how to serve you and get you connected. Come to one of our staff or, or, or our pastors or turn to the left or right where you're seated after your service. We understand this is not easy these days. Establishing and deepening relationships doesn't come natural anymore in our culture. And yet we are the same complex human beings, physical, emotional, spiritual, that we've always been. We need it. We need each other. We need this level of unity and partnership in life and in the perseverance of our faith together. It's so good for us. I was talking to a sister from Riverstone here last week at VBS, and she and I were both sharing how right now we're carrying heavy burdens of loved ones, suffering in part with them in their suffering. And we were sharing in the weightiness of this reality and yet rejoicing in the beauties of God's design for our interdependency. It's a beautiful thing. We need it. Our church family in, in countries where life and faith are far more difficult than ours, they get this all the more. Do you remember Brother Gerges in Egypt? One of our elders, Marty Brophy, and I went and visited him back in March. You were praying for us. We came back and shared, shared a brief update. Well, it was great to spend time with him after getting to know him for the last 12 to 18 months prior. And uh, we as a church are preparing to take him on as a long-term supported worker in, 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 the, in the Arab world. And... While we were together during that week, we talked about all sorts of stuff. And at the end of the week, he and I were in the car together. He was driving, and, and I, started to, I started to talk some logistical follow-up, next steps with once we come back. And, and at, at one point, I broached the topic of monetary support, okay? An important aspect of global support. And let me tell you, right when I brought it up, 
He literally stopped the car, looked at me, and he said, brother, you need to know something. And I was like, what did I just say? <laughs> what just happened? And he's like, I do not need money. Money? God provides money. God has provided everything we've ever needed. He'll meet all our needs. What we need is a family. I'm dead serious. I was stunned. He said, stunned with encouragement. He said, we need to know that we have a family in the U.S., that will stand with us in the ministry of God, in prayer, in care, and participate with us in this work. Partnership. Gerges just got back from two months in the Arab Peninsula with his family. Over these last two months, they've been scouting and seeking the Lord uh, to see whether he and his family, whether the Lord would have them relocate to centralize a hub for gospel ministry in the midst of very difficult countries for this work. And right before he left, he just got back to Egypt two days ago and four days ago. He just sent us this video this week. I told him I'd share it with you all just as, just as a word of encouragement from him brief word. We could restart that just because it's a short video, if possible. I didn't ask him to send us this. I didn't. He's constantly sending us videos and notes. Let me tell you, this brother, over the last 12, over the last 18 months, he has been walking with our church, praying for us regularly, daily, through even especially some of our difficult seasons over the last 18 months. He, he was sending our elders recorded prayers for us, for our encouragement, this is true partnership in the gospel. Praise God. Let me just stop and, 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 and instead of uh, just preaching on, let's just stop and say a quick word of prayer for Gerges and his family. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this great family, setting them apart for your great work. Thank you for the love and the bonds that we've already established. Thank you for their joys of being connected with us, Lord. We pray that our unity and our partnership would grow all the more, that you lead them with spiritual wisdom and insight. Uh, protect them, Lord, every step of the way. Watch over their family as they give themselves fully to your work in and through the Arab world, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Family, in the days and years ahead, we want to see this church grow into deeper and deeper fellowship and partnership together in the gospel. All that we offer at Riverstone, all our programs, all our ministries have an end goal to them. Unity and growth in Christ with one another. And our fellowship with one another is also a partnership. We have a shared purpose to make the gospel of Jesus known throughout our community, and to the ends of the world. Amen?
That's our heart's desire with us and for us together, for this church. Let's read the last few verses to close out Paul's introduction here, 9 through 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And this I pray. So here we have the content of one of Paul's prayers for the church, laid out for us in three parts, request, purpose, and result. We should carefully consider Paul's focus and structures in his prayers for our own prayer life. He prays that the love they already have would abound more and more. And this is not just any kind of love. Everyone loves love these days, right? When Danny was here, we took him out throughout New York City for a day. We're standing at one point in Times Square, and all you see radiating, just gleaming all throughout Times Square. Love is love. Love wins. All you need is love. Of course we should grow in love, Paul. Everyone knows that. Oh, no, no, Paul says. I'm referring to godly love. Love that is discerning and knowing in real knowledge. He does not pray toward a future for the church that is excelling in either love or knowledge because he knows that love without knowledge is squishy, spineless, fluid sentimentalism. Make it whatever you want. And he also knows that knowledge without love is meaningless. It swells the brain, often in arrogance. One commentator writes here that Paul calls for both light and heat, knowledge and love. There's a goal for this kind of godly love. That through the real knowledge of God and his truth, that is, we can approve. That means to test and prove what is truly good and right and fruitful from what is truly wrong and corrosive. And the purpose of godly discernment in knowledge, as we see here, is purity, sincerity and blamelessness until the return of Christ. This word for sincerity is another word for purity or unmixed. Paul wants to see the church in Philippi be true saints, set apart from the world and unmixed by its influences and power, secure 
and pure in Christ. Real Christians. There's a lot of blending and mixing and confusion all around us. Nothing new under the sun either. Paul's praying toward the same ends for the same reasons that we do today. Family, we should be praying this for each other, our church, our witness in the world, for our children. Love, discernment, purity, righteousness. Help our young ones interpret realities and issues in life through the lens of Scripture. Ourselves first learning this spiritual discernment and regularly practicing it, growing in our senses. For instance, do we understand that all news media outlets and all our social media feeds, these things are designed to indoctrinate us? Do we know that? Can we sense in them, because they're not wholly bad or wrong, can we sense in them what is truly right from what is truly wrong and therefore know how to respond according to Scripture? That's the kicker. Scripture's the standard. That's the real here modifying the kind of knowledge. Family, this might be one of the greatest, most powerful tools of Satan today. Do we see it? Do we see how dangerous this thing can be? To us and our children can serve a whole lot of good and can be utterly destructive. Can we sense that? I'm reading a book right now from a Puritan, Thomas Brooks, called Precious Remedies for Satan's Devices. And in his opening words, first lines to his readers, he says, Christ, the Scripture, your own hearts, and Satan's devices are the four are the four prime things that should be first and most studied and searched. If any cast off the study of these, they cannot be safe here, nor happy hereafter. Family, the knowledge of God and our spiritual discernment is vital for a healthy, fruitful life in Christ. Watch out. For devices, literally and figuratively, that disorient your compass. So the request of Paul's prayer, love in knowledge and discernment, the purpose of the prayer, our purity and holiness from now until Christ returns, and the result, all to the glory and praise of God. Now, Listen to the prayer one more time and hone in on one more piece. 
the linchpin which holds all of this together. Let's read 9 through 11 one more time, this prayer. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Having been filled. So we go from purity until Christ returns, future, to having been filled, past. Actually, this tense in the Greek is called the perfect tense, which refers to a past action with present results. Family, this is so meaningful. So he's saying here at least two things. One, those who reach the goal of purity and holiness on the day Christ returns will prove that they have been filled with the fruit of righteousness through Christ. And two, the love, knowledge, discernment, and purity that Paul prays for along the way is a byproduct of being filled with the fruit of righteousness. Therefore, being filled with the fruit of righteousness consists of the means and the ends. You with me? Kind of? Well then, what is the fruit of righteousness through Christ, you ask? Good question. The fruit of righteousness through Christ referred to here is the fruit or byproduct of the Holy Spirit of God living inside us. This happening at the point of our conversion by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, in his gospel, the power of God to save and to sanctify us. This is the glorious grace of the gospel. We can't just be holy. We can't just love with a godly, spiritual, discerning love. We can't on our own. But the good news of the gospel is that what God requires from us, he gives to us. He gives to us. The holy, purifying love and truth that he requires from us in our life together, he gives to us in the person and work of Jesus. Amen? Notice the passive voice here, having been filled. We've been acted upon. We didn't act. We didn't fill ourselves. No, we were filled. This is the great exchange that happened on the cross 
and is applied to us when we believe in the gospel of Jesus. We just sang about it. He who knew no sin became sin for us in our place so that we would become the righteousness of Christ. All to the praise of his glorious grace. Amen? Hallelujah. This whole intro is sandwiched in praise. He starts with praise and he ends with praise. The two chief priorities of Paul that stand out in the introduction of this letter are clear. Praise and prayer. We will see these two priorities of his woven throughout the letter. And there's a reason why I wanted us to identify his priorities from this passage. Because Paul's priorities point us toward progress. Remember that as we move forward into the series and build on this. Paul's priorities point us toward progress. Family, in this season of rebuilding and discerning God's vision and future for our church, it's vital that we focus together on our biblical priorities first and foremost. Unless the Lord builds this house, we labor in vain. Two weeks ago, when Danny from Lebanon was here with us, he spent the week with my family, and it was such a blessing. And at one point, toward the end of the week, he asked, so what is your vision for the church? I said, oh, brother, that's a big question. That's, that, 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 that's something that we're working on right now. We're discerning the Lord, seeking the Lord, and developing that kind of phase by phase as we move along. He said, Okay, well, then what would you like to see? <sighs> and I leaned back and I thought for a moment. And then I started sharing with him my heart. And for this church, the things that I see, the how encouraged I am, how encouraged we are as pastors, elders, staff, the body in this season, the things that we see and are excited about for our future together. And he was encouraged. And then he said, what do you think you need to get there? And my heart didn't skip a beat before I quickly responded, first things first, prayer and celebration. Praise and prayer. Family, if we are not seeking God, relying on God, and celebrating the works of God among us, Day after day, week after week, we will advance nowhere. This will be an empty oasis. But I firmly believe, and so do our elders and staff, that if we are praying together, if we continue all the more to pray together as a church, praising God for all his works, large and small among us, we will be all the more an oasis flowing with living water to us and through us. Amen? That's my heart's desire. Paul's priorities point us toward progress. 
Family, let's be secure in who we are and whose we are. Children of the living God, servants of Jesus Christ. Let's press on in prayer for each other, for the church. Commit to prayer together in these days ahead, all the more. Praying for our love, wisdom, discernment, righteousness, holiness, our purity, our protection. All the while, let's make every effort to rejoice together in the goodness of God to the praise of his glorious grace. Amen? Amen. I'm going to close by reading a hymn that I discovered this week that really blessed me, and so I'm going to share it with you all, that I think so beautifully articulates the fullness of joy in serving Christ. This hymn is by Charles Wesley, and it's titled, His Service is Perfect Freedom. Behold, I come with joy to do the Master's blessed will. My Lord in outward works pursue and serve his pleasure still. Thus faithful to my Lord's commands, I choose the better part and serve with careful Martha's hands, but loving Mary's heart. Though careful without care I am, nor feel my happy toil, preserved in peace by Jesus' name, supported by his smile. Rejoicing thus my faith to show his service my reward, while every work I do below, I do it to the Lord. Oh, that the world the art might know of living thus to thee, and find their heaven begun below, and hear thy glory see. Walking in all the works prepared to exercise their grace, they gain at last their full reward, and see thy glorious face. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, you are marvelous. Help us to fix our mind and our hearts on your glorious grace. Insulate us in your grace and your mercy, in your word, in your gospel, O oh God. Raise us up as bold, confident, secure, humble, gentle servants powerful witnesses in the world around us. Lord, use us as your hands and feet. What great privilege and joy it is. Use us to both show and share the love of Christ, the hope of the gospel with each other and with the world around us in this week ahead, in the days ahead. Unite us Keep us in purity and holiness, and we pray that this place would fill up and overflow with joy and praise and thanksgiving and be a, a, a flowing oasis in the community around us, Lord, that you would be glorified in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.